we're just waiting for the next slide, but um, just a little bit about myself. Some of you already know me. I'm just looking at the attendee list and there's many um, names on there that I know and recognize and some friends. Thanks for joining us today. So I've uh, been in the industry for about 30 years, um, predominantly, of course, in clinical trial management throughout uh, CRO land and big pharma, as well as more recently in the last 15 or 20 years in the medical device industry. Um, <clears throat> Co-founded Mobius in 2008, and now I'm the clinical director um, looking after business development and strategic advice and partnerships proposals and budgets and contracts and obviously client liaison making sure all of our sponsors that we're partnering for their clinical trials are well looked after. Uh, I'm also a, a guest lecturer at, at UTS here in Sydney and on weekends I'm an authorised marriage celebrant as a hobby. Um, some of you already know Mobius very well but for those who are new uh, we're a boutique full-service CRO based in North Sydney. Um, we've got staff throughout every major city in Australia and also over in New Zealand. Uh, we've got a 9001 accredited QMS for the last six or seven years now. Uh, our mainstay service offering, of course, is clinical trial management um, and EDC and data management services. Um, we work in the space of first in human right through to post-market surveillance studies. Uh, we also offer medical monitoring and act as legal local sponsor in Australia for our overseas clients. Finally, we do uh, biostats and also have registered nurses on our team um, that, of course, can be then integral um, in case support services where we've got a new procedure or using a new device and the sponsor needs somebody in the theatre or in the cath lab to actually help drive the instructions for use correctly in those new procedures. And finally, we can offer medical writing services. Today, uh, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Robert Tiller. Robert's the head of design at Envision, and he's the founder of Tiller Design here in Australia. And with that, Robert, I'll go on mute and welcome. Thank you, Thank you Suzanne. Good morning, everybody. Um, Welcome to the webinar. So uh, yeah, I'm Robert Tiller, Head of Design at Envision, which is an ASX listed medical startup. And I'm gonna share a story with you a bit later. We led the translation of core technology from the Uni of Queensland into a proof of concept device and then the first clinical trial device. And I also founded Tiller Design back in 1997 when color telly was still quite interesting. Um, so I'm just going to run a quick showreel on our work, a few minutes at the front to help explain who we are for those who don't know. Um, we're actually a very diverse multidisciplinary company and our focus is on product design and development and more, more um, generally program management because you, you really can't have the product design in isolation of the full strategic picture. Uh, and as you can see on screen, there's a number of there's hundreds of projects actually. Um, we concentrate in, uh, well, we consider ourselves strategists, researchers, designers, and engineers, which is mirrored through the staff. Uh, and we have worked predominantly across four major sectors, as you can see on screen. But today, the emphasis is going to be on medical device design. We've 
collected a good share of industrial design, product design, engineering awards around the world and locally through the Australian Design Program. And here's uh, some of our crew before the party, just to get, give you a general idea of the mood that ensues. So today, it, it's really, I, I find this difficult, to be honest, because it's such a deep and detailed topic. So do reach out to me uh, either after the presentation or even outside of this webinar if you feel you've got questions or questions that weren't answered. Um, I'm going to be very brief and generalist, so apologies if that's doesn't go into the detail. So design and development of medical devices. So first and foremost, <clears throat> let's recognize the design and development is a stream of work within a program. It's not the be all and end all. It has a very high prominence, obviously, because it's the thing you're selling at the end of the day. There's a lot of disciplines and a lot of uh, um, topics that need to be managed and met. And the best, uh, I feel very strongly, the best team to manage all the different stakeholders is the design team and to draw on the on the different stakeholders' expertise when needed. Um, you'll hear a term design-led around the place. Design-led programs really is a way of putting the emphasis on the design team leading and managing and keeping focus on the core outputs from all the stakeholders. Um, the reason it's important is that we will champion the end user and the end user needs, the design outputs, sets the legacy costs, and really sets up the commercial success of the company or the startup or the project. So typically you're all familiar, I'm assuming with this, a medical device development is controlled and regulated under ISO 13485, 62304, 62601, and on and on and on the list goes. There are many disciplines that are needed to be successful industrial design, mechanical engineering, electronics, software, regulatory. So our core, when I say program management, I'm talking about a design-led team that will overarch all of those disciplines and help nurture them, manage them, and steer them through the development pro program. And you'll see the CRO in there, a, 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 an early link to the CRO, manufacturing, the things that you may traditionally think uh, we will do later once the design is defined. Um, it's important to bring them in really early. And when a development program starts, uh, let's ask some obvious questions. Do you actually need to enter tight ISO controls immediately? And are you even ready to start a controlled design and development program? I'm bringing this up because as a, in the consulting business, we meet a lot of companies that have a product and they're they think they're ready for the full design and development program, but in reality, there's still a need to learn a bit more about um, the requirements inputs and in particular, the usability. So can you define all the requirements? Can you even, have you got any usability inputs? It's pretty unlikely because typically usability needs research. That means in some cases, small scale early clinical trials. So in fact, you run through quite a, a full design program to reach a point where you can test your ideas in the clinical setting. And in most cases, that research 
is missing and that research is critical to commercial success but it's also critical to successful submissions to FDA and usability. So what am I talking about? There's a space, a no man's land, a gap if you like, in front of a development program and it's often referred to as proof of concept, research, you'll hear different uh, institutions talking about it in different ways. It's coming from universities, R&D labs, startups, your own in-house in R&D. But fundamentally, it's, an, it's a space to explore. And it's really important to go there first. Why? Because there is a, always a gap. Always. Small, medium, large, pick a size. But you must understand and close the knowledge gaps before you fire up a full development, product development cycle under ISO controls. And the simple reason for doing that is it saves money and it saves time and it lowers risk. And when you speak to the risk, lowering project risk, you're also actually lowering commercial risk and becoming more investable because you're more palatable. So if you understand the knowledge gaps, you need to do that to bring a really sharp focus on your design and development strategy and also your clinical strategy. They go hand in hand. Um, and I'll speak a little more to that in the Envision case study. There's, there are obvious, but I'm, you know, maybe, maybe you're not familiar, but there are some really key benefits for integrating the right design team with the research proof of concept development. And that may, <clears throat> in, in a, a mature project sense, just be a review of what you've already got, but it's still there's still a need to study this space pre-development. Um, it helps close the knowledge gaps in a controlled way rather than a reactionary way, and the strategy that you build to be commercially successful makes sense around the gaps and risks you identify early. It lowers the risks and it lowers the long-term costs. It creates pathways for research to emerge with the medtech product requirements. At, like design inputs and the usability, human factors engineering in mind. If you're in pure research, the connection to the problem, the connection to the end user and what they feel they would buy or use is the gap between pure research and, and end users is vast. Uh, it closes obviously the more, the more you develop and the closer you get to understanding the cohort. Um, it also, Closing the knowledge gaps is a chance to bridge knowledge, bridge and manage knowledge transfer. Typically, uh, if you're in research again with universities, it's moving from the university to a company. If you're even in-house, it's moving from the R&D team to the development team. So you need controlled and careful knowledge transfer. Um, but more, I think one of the really important ones is it links commercial goals and positive patient user experiences to the research and development. It's a really key in uh, key space for information to, to uh, drive the product design focus. Um, all of these things feed into proof of concept devices and demonstrations. And when I when I say design and development, you 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 move through the design process, which is controlled. But you must test and try things as you're going. And the proof of concept devices and demonstrations, which ultimately can leverage into regulatory submissions, which is what you need to sell your product, they can emerge and be part of the, the knowledge gap transfer and the knowledge gap analysis. 
So let's pause just for a minute and think about um, design control. So can you have design controls in proof of concept R&D program? Well, you can. And, and it's a bit of a, uh, an oxymoron comment, perhaps, but I, I like the idea of working formally in an informal project. What does that mean? It means if you have the, the wherewithal and the understanding of the detailed process, you can do a lot of work outside of that process, but in a way that it's compliant when you reach it. And in a, it means you can develop proof of concept, you can do your reviews, you can generate data, that will dovetail into the formal deliverables of a formal ISO controlled program. Um, and remember the context in this is we're taking technology and research and testing whether that has merit to solve a problem in a commercial sense. Um, so doing it quickly and iteratively uh, for, for low cost, is important because if it doesn't work you don't want to be buried in a giant program with massive technical issues that push you back into R&D. Central to all of this is in my humble opinion the end users they are central to your success it's of it's potentially an obvious thing to say but be aware the FDA needs you <coughs> needs you to prove that you can use your device safely and without harm before you're allowed to sell it. And that's that's a good thing. You need to make sure that your device is embraced by the end users because they will they are the people who are going to drive sales. So small scale clinical trials can actually focus on usability and safety. And you can use that uh, to inform product design requirements. And it is possible to stay in early stage dev phases, which means low overhead and deliver proof of concept devices or, or let's call them alpha devices for clinical trials. And I, I would argue it's actually essential. The, the, the careful footnote to that is the proof of concept device reflects the intended production device. And it, and it does that through clever design and careful program management. So it doesn't mean you have to redesign from scratch once you've moved through this sort of informal space but it, mean, it actually means low-risk product development. Um, let's chat a little more about the end user. It is actually, uh, the user needs are a formal input uh, to the product design and development program through the user needs and the product requirements. Getting them right is critical because everything feeds down from those user needs. And using short-scale clinical trials, as I mentioned, is a great way to test usability and test whether your, your um, intended workflows, your intended interaction ergonomically, physically, uh, through, whether it's a UI, whether it's physical product handling, it's a good way just to test how that goes and take that data and use it to then leverage into the, the full-on product development. So it will drive end user research will drive usability. Now the technical research and the and and I'm using the word research a lot, but but I I feel it happens a lot within product design and development programs. And in a, you know, if you want to say, well, let's say let's imagine I'm doing technical research. You're you're researching hardware to solve a particular technical problem. Uh, all of those things need quick and efficient ways to be evaluated. 
So, you know, I advocate that you do all of that outside of the formal process, get it all ready, and then um, throw it over the fence and you can move much more quickly through the formal phases. So technical research is looking at product design requirements, functionality, efficacy, performance, and importantly, cost of goods, which is um, the, the ultimate goal is to do this for a certain price so that there can be commercial success. The design team is perfectly placed to lead this, what is quite a complex stepping in from informal to formal design process. And they need to blend the major areas together, and, but importantly, interpret when enough is enough. I've got enough information. We're all happy enough to move on. And then managing the various stakeholders is also a key thing. Um, it's possible to make compliant work under PIC. So typically one of the strategies I've adopted over the years is we effectively operate in phase one, which is the first 85. And you use that phase to um, formally define requirements, but buzzing around it is the design and development of all the research outcomes, threads to lock in what you ultimately want to take forward. Um, it's all about finding strategies to try and shorten time to, to not only trials, but also to product launch. So put really simply, and I did warn you all, it's, it's high level. <laughs> if you understand the research side, you can actually reduce the knowledge gaps quite quickly. And once you've got all of that, you're actually ready for what I would call the product design and development phase. Now, how does that relate to the real world? So um, as I mentioned, uh, a quick history on Envision. Some of you may know, but for those who don't, Envision is a, a quite a sophisticated medical device startup effectively. It's um, creating brain imaging technology or medical imaging. Uh, the research originated out of University of Queensland. And I, I started working with them uh, with Tiller Design when I was at Tiller Design as the CEO of Tiller Design. We led for about three or four years the research, leveraging the research out of the university into a proof of concept device and into the first production device. And I've actually stayed with Envision in a curious story, which is for another day, uh, and continue that journey. So what does that mean? Well, an, an industrial design team, product development team, which was in at the beginning Tiller Design, put together a high level project strategy. And the first thing we had to do was learn and understand the research and the intent of that research, which in this case was use microwave technology to, to analyze uh, the different tissues within your head and translate that into an image. For what purpose? to identify localized, characterized stroke. In parallel to that was um, very entrepreneurial founders of Envision were creating the commercial plan and could see this as a major opportunity, commercial opportunity and extremely beneficial to society opportunity. Uh, and we were, the, we were the team bridging the gaps between pure research, translational research, the commercial desires of the new forming company, and most importantly, the user cohort. Now, the user cohort was not really known or understood in these early days. 
and we had to bring that user research in and gently steer the research away from structures like you see on screen into more palatable in the short term forms and structures that start to meet usability requirements. Um, and that meant designing, doing the product design, but concentrating on functional hardware to test bench testing, uh, testing on the bench and testing on head phantoms, which are fake heads. In parallel to that, the usability, usability and ergonomics of use was running as a parallel stream and we'd identified um, high level hardware and just where do you put it all? How do you move with it? How do you push it around? How do you use it? Uh, we started to dabble with the user interface. So a little further on, whilst the research is continuing and the bench testing is slowly proving out the technology, we explore the first trial device design, which you can see on the left. Now, the intent of that product design, which is a, a, an, it's a, a, an accredited design controlled product, it was developed with the sole purpose of going into an early stage clinical trial to gather real patient data, which is a fundamental need for the business back then to use that data to, to start and train the algorithms generating the images of the brain. Um, so you, you can actually consider all of the design work that we did over four years as pre-development work, but it was done as if it was controlled, which meant we could, when we step into the formal product design, we could just hand over a whole bunch of requirements, a whole bunch of proven technology and it made the second product development much more efficient. So this is a this is a happy snap of me delivering the device to Dr. David Cook at the PA Hospital, where the clinical trial is starting. And it's worth pointing out we we worked very closely with Mobius throughout this whole process, who ran this trial for us. Um, but meeting them at the very beginning was critical because we were we were really after ways of getting into the hospital as quickly as possible and understanding the best part, best strategies from a clinical perspective, clinical trial perspective, what, what were they? And, and we married that into our product development strategies. Um, finally, <clears throat> on the, on the bottom right, you can see the conceptual image of the gen, the first proof concept device. And the conceptual image that spun from that and those learnings on the right-hand corner of the final commercial product. Um, and here's some shots of the commercial device. So what you're looking at, if I go back one slide, is the movement of, of pure research out of the university into some hardware in a controlled way, but but diving in and out of research and R&D and into formal design controls. Then taking all the data and the collected um, information from that clinical trial, analyzing it, and it, it passed amazingly well. It proved the technology works, and that was the trigger to, to push on with the next product. But what we also picked up was some safety and usability issues with the concept. And you won't find that out until you're in 
the clinic or the hospital. No matter, you know, the best thinkers in the world will will never catch everything. So it's quite it was quite valuable, almost a hidden value um, that we that we discovered some pretty large scale safety issues around lifting, even though we were compliant to the rules and regulations of the hospital and the standards, when it came to the actual end users, there was a real push to change the way the headset was moved. And that led to the integrated arm that you can see on the concept. And that's just one simple study, I guess, or example of, of um, the benefits of going, going quickly and early to clinical assessment. So that's all I was planning to share. I don't know if anybody has any questions and I just want to acknowledge there's huge amounts of depth and detail in the design process, which I didn't talk about today. Just in case someone's looking at this in 10 years time going, what the hell is he talking about? Uh, thanks, Robert. I actually uh, do have one question. Interesting to know. Um, one of the main issues that we see in some of these early projects is is, is requirements creep. You know, the um, just the uh, the act where it's just a, a never ending evolution of requirements that that, that people um, keep adding into these projects, um, which obviously then can cause delays, to timelines, and costs increase, yep. and yeah, you know, devices becomes overly complex. Perhaps um. How do you manage these um, these uh, requirements creep and, and, and manage the expectations? And, um, um, okay, so there's a lot in that question. Um, first of all, at a very high level, a project, the start of a project, there's a project management plan, if you will, and it, it documents responsibilities, who's doing what, high level, what the general aims are. Under that will be individuals that, have the task of managing the teams and corralling all of these, you know, objective opinions, subjective opinions into requirements. But you've got to go about it in a really structured way and it needs to be led from the end user needs. That's where you start. So the process of gathering requirements is very iterative and it is quite long. And you can think of it more of as a, as a rolling document but when you come to things that make massive impact, you know, let's say you want to suddenly you wake up and you decide the power budget's wrong and you need to add six batteries, six brick sized batteries to the device. And you're already in phase three where you're building prototypes. That's a massive impact to time, cost and effort. So the, the importance of bench testing, the importance of um, proving out that what you're doing from a systems architecture and a technology and technical perspective work, but equally important, does it meet the user need requirements? Can they push it around? Can they lift it? And you, you don't know all that unless you build something and try it out, which is why you try and, you know, almost go the minimum, the minimum amount you need to go to prove out a fundamental requirement like the user needs before you commit to all of the other systems architecture that might be solving the technical challenges. And I think that a, a simple case in point, I'm working now personally uh, in Envision on the ambulance device, which is a portable version of the brain scanner. It must be 12 kilos or less 
and deployable by one hand from a person jumping out of an ambulance paramedic. Now, that, that sounds simple and obvious, but if you didn't know that and then you designed all the technical, you, you solved all the technical problems and all the requirements, you'd be in exactly the situation you just mentioned, massive scope creep, massive um, catch-up. So uh, that was a that was a ramble. Forgive me, but it's it's all about getting getting clear, being calm, taking your time to understand and define the product requirements as, as early as you can, and don't be afraid to review them and iterate them lots. But ultimately, before you make any major investment or really go hard on the full on product design, don't do it until you understand what the requirements are. Right. Thank. Thanks, Rob. We actually uh, so we've got a good uh, Eugene who's um, put his hand up. I've just uh, unmuted you, Eugene. Perhaps you could ask your question. I can't hear anything. Um. How about now? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Good. Good morning, Rob, Robert. Hi. Uh, terrific, terrific presentation. Thank you very, very much. Um, I, I do quite a bit of work with, with startups. My, my area of specialism is, is in reimbursement. Uh-huh, yeah. Getting third-party funding. Yeah, very so, important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very important. And uh, I mean, I, I was sort of struck by quite a few of the comments you were making about how important it is to sort of start dealing with uh, early clinical trials and, and, you know, doing small studies and so on. Because in my experience, uh, invariably, um, reimbursement is an afterthought. So yes. The focus is very much on, on getting past the TGA or the FDA. And then they suddenly think, you know, oh, shit, um, yep. somebody's yep. going to have to pay for this. Yeah, exactly. So, so, <laughs> so my, my question to you was, would, would you say, from a, from a startup perspective, would you say that the sensible thing would be for a startup to um, come to somebody like you very, very early on in the piece. I mean, like pretty yeah. much after they've thought that they they, they may have a an idea, not not even a, a, a product or anything, but just an mm. idea that that may have legs um, to to maybe include uh, the the engineers and the designers at that early stage to thrash through some of the you know some of the the, the questions and issues that need to be resolved. Um. I, look, high level, yes, I would, but I'm just thinking, why did I say that? It, what the, Any startup or any project, what you actually need is somebody who has the ability to think holistically across all of the disciplines and all, all of the functions that you're going to need to do to be successful. So when it comes to reimbursement and things like that, there is a whole s s parallel stream, if you will, running with the project and product design, which is the commercial planning and the and the design of the business itself, if it's a startup. You know, so at some point you'll need to consider doing some health economics analysis, understanding the markets you're going to, to even be able to begin to figure out reimbursement and things like that. So it's really about getting as early as possible, even at the point where you've got the idea in front of a, a team that can very quickly project out all of the different things that's going to need to happen. And, and that is our, I mean, Tiller Design is that capable. 
Um, but there are others, obviously, as well, and other people out there that, are, that would know a lot more than I do. Um, but, yeah, I think it's having a sensitivity to those needs. Most startups don't understand because they focus on the product, and like you pointed out, they focus on, I want to go FDA, TGA, CE. If I had a buck every time I heard that, I'd be a rich man. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lovely. Thank, thank you, Robert. That's great. Thanks. No worries. Thank you. Richard, any more questions that you can see? Uh, no, I can't see any, any other questions or uh, hands raised. Okay, great. Robert, thank you so much. That was fantastic. And I think it's given a lot of food for thought on, you know, the planning of the clinical stage of medical device development, as well as understanding you know, some of the challenges and some of the thought processes that you have to go through, of course. Uh, everyone, thanks for joining us today. This will be available on our website in a couple of days um, as a recording. So enjoy the rest of your day in the Southern Hemisphere and um, your evening in the North. Thank you very much.